Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Franchise Interviews, where we're asking the franchisepreneur who owns one. I'm your host, Marty McDermott, with my co-host, Don Johnson. And if you've ever dreamed about owning your own business, then you've come to the right place. We have a great show this morning. We're meeting with William Fickman of the I Sold It Franchise Opportunity. I Sold It is a franchise concept that offers customers an easy and effortless way to sell their items online. This unique approach to online retailing gives customers a click-and-mortar store where they can drop off merchandise that they can sell and liquidate items online. Customers simply stop by a store to drop off items they want to sell, and the I Sold It takes care of the rest. And that's coming up in Segment 2 of Franchise Interviews. Our show today is being brought to you by Franchise Interviews, LLC, and Franchise Interviews gives you an up-close and behind-the-scenes look at franchising through our website, FranchiseInterviews.com, where you can hear and read interviews as well as get insight tips from some of the most successful sources in franchising. Our weekly franchise radio show on Blog Talk Radio, where each week you get to hear a new interview with franchisors, franchisees, franchise authors, franchise experts, and franchise attorneys. And our monthly franchise newsletter, which is a must-read for anyone looking to buy a franchise. And don't forget to check out our podcast, Great Quotes in Franchising. And Don, welcome back to another edition of Franchise Interviews. How are you doing today, my friend? Great, great. Doing fine, Marty. How's your week going? Ah, beautiful fall week out here in Pennsylvania, and I know you actually made it out to uh, eastern Pennsylvania over the weekend, right. which I'm sorry we didn't get to uh, hook up, you know, but it's uh, it's beautiful out there. Today's like a perfect fall day. Yeah, the real air uh, crispness. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I'd love to do the show outside today, but uh, it's a little windy out there, so uh, yeah. I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> But our last, yeah, our last show, though, we got to meet with uh, Holly Silliday, um, right. who's a franchise attorney for Snell and Wilmer, and uh, we spoke about a lot of different things. We spoke about bankruptcy and looking for signs of bankruptcy with businesses right. and franchises, you know, both alike. A very interesting concept. What did you think of last week? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a show and, and information we have to go over, even though it's, right. it's negative, of course. I don't want to talk mm-hmm. about bankruptcy, whether it's the franchise or the franchisee, but there's a lot involved there, and Holly was great at giving all the advice and all the options and everything. And uh, she, I was surprised that uh, with the growing franchise industry, there's actually been less franchise or bankruptcies. Right. She did indicate, I think, the number of franchisors that are going under maybe mm-hmm. has increased, but maybe they didn't file bankruptcy. Right, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, really, yeah, I mean, I guess the key is, you know, really to you know avoiding maybe bankruptcy or mm-hmm. tough situation is really just communication, simple as it is. Exactly. It's really you know communication early on throughout the process to try to avoid you know a rough situation when you have to you know go into a bankruptcy. Yeah, it is an important topic to discuss. Again, you know, you and I called it like the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, I mean, the purpose of the show is really to inform people about franchising. Although we are very pro-franchise, you know, we do talk about. Uh, really everything on the right. show, you know, and I think right. that's what people love most about it. She was great. We asked her, uh, what are some warning signs that a franchisor should look for? And you mentioned uh, a couple of them. She said the franchisee stops communicating is the number one sign, as you mentioned. Right. Um, also the failure to pay royalties. So when that starts happening, you know, you have to say, is, is, is there a problem going on? Um, so it's revolving door management, uh, delinquent taxes, uh, increasing complaints regarding the franchise itself, you know. So these right. are signs that the franchisor should actually look for, you know, to see if there's some problems. Um, right. See, what else did you mention? You spoke about how a franchisor can help uh, get the franchisee back on track, and that's really what they want to do, don't they? I mean, you don't want this whole thing. I mean, really, court is like the last option, and you say bankruptcy is like the last option. She said, cut the franchisee a break on royalties or license fees. Uh, reduction or forbearance, pull together a SWAT team of operations people, or ask a successful franchisee uh, to help the troubled franchisees identify and deal with operational issues. That makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if a franchise is struggling, it could be for a number of reasons. You know, perhaps they're not following the system. Perhaps they don't understand something. Perhaps maybe they're working too much in the business and not on the business. You know, so it could be a number of variables involved. And uh, I think it's a great thing, you know, try to get the franchisee back on track. So it was, it was a very informative show. I learned a lot um, having Holly on this show, and, you know, I'd love to have her yeah. back on, like, some future topics as well. And, uh, what, you know, what happens to the franchise agreement in a bankruptcy situation? And exactly. And she made the point that when the trust is gone, that's when it's, you know, usually too late. That's when it's over, isn't it, you know? And it's kind of interesting because it kind of segues into today's show, if you think about it. Um, William Fickman of I Sold It. 
you know, I was doing a little research uh, last night on their franchise concept, and you know, they get involved in in liquidations of businesses. I mean, it makes sense, right. doesn't it? If a business yeah. needs to liquidate all their assets, you know, if, if, instead of trying to sell it yourself, I mean, just go to like an I sold it, and I think uh, I sold it is getting involved in in in, in uh, that revenue stream as well. So it's like that's a good like point. A, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. that's an outlet to try to sell. Uh, you know, uh, and there's a lot of them out there, there too, right? I mean, yeah. you know, remember when we had Dr. Shane on, on on the show, you know, talking about how most businesses fail. So, uh, right. <laughs> you know, you know that down the road you're going to get, uh, you know, a lot of liquidation as well. So, uh, it, it, it's an interesting type of franchise concept. I'm looking forward to uh, uh, having William on the show today. So, it should be interesting. So, what do we have going on? I guess I kind of hinted at what we go, have going on today. What's going on over the next couple of months, Don? Well, next week, uh, October 9th, we have Moran Industries. Excited Peter about that. Peter Baldine. Uh, excited about that show. They have several different automotive concepts and franchises in their system, and we'll be hearing all about their history and, right. and a success on October 16th, the Entrepreneur Source. Wow. Uh, very successful, one of the leading uh, franchise consulting companies in the country. They've helped, I, I, I guess, thousands of people nationwide not get into a franchise business, so that's exciting. Yeah, it's been around for a while, yeah. Right, yeah. I you know, personally work with many of their associates and consultants uh, through financing. On October 23rd, meeting the franchise called Business Partner, end of the month. It's a pretty busy month for us, October. Uh, October 30th, we have Decor <laughs> and You franchise. And, that's interesting. Um, you know, and then, we, like I think you mentioned last week, uh, we have shows booked into the new year, so you know, a lot of good stuff coming up. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. This was, um, I think you remember, Don, when we had Tom Scarta, uh, who was a guest on our show. It was probably about a month ago. He told us about this next story that I'm going to kind of go over right now. Can the government come in and ban fast food? And this article, um, found it on Yahoo, is LA's fast food ban draws skepticism. And the article is by Lisa uh, Baitlin and Dan Whitcomb. Listen to this. There's a ban on new fast food restaurants in poor Los Angeles neighborhoods has made headlines around the world, but residents say they don't plan to give up their cheeseburgers, fried chicken, and tacos anytime soon. The moratorium, which was passed in July, was intended to fight obesity in low-income communities of America's second largest city where healthy food is very hard to find. The move is trendsetting California's latest salvo in an expanding war on the fast food industry which is bracing for copycat maneuvers around the United States that could threaten growth. But residents are skeptical that such laws will have much of an impact in Los Angeles' low-income and minority neighborhoods, which already blanketed with cheap and easy-to-find meals um, and the name of a bunch of different fast food places. Um, right. And here's a, here's a comment. It says, it's stupid. It's our body. Uh, we choose what we want to put in it, says Tanya Owens, who's a 45-year-old nurse assistant, um, told Reuters. Uh, Edwin Tsai interviewed at a cluster of fast food chains in the affected district, which includes the neighborhood of South Los Angeles, West Adams, Baldwin Hills, and Lemur Park, said there were reasons people eat at places like McDonald's, which is true. You know, again, it's, it's fast and it's easy. Um, so I think people will come here no matter what, Tsai said. Right. It says, eye-popping calorie counts and the often unhealthy ingredients used in the fast food uh, have made industry a favorite whipping boy for anti-obesity advocates and lawmakers. This isn't the calm before the storm. This is the storm, said California Restaurant Association spokesman Daniel Conway, whose group represents a major restaurant chain. Interesting. I mean, the article goes on and on, but right. you, know, you have to remember this, that you know, California became the first state to uh, uh, ban trans fats. Uh, I think you remember that. I think they were also the first state to ban smoking in restaurants. And you see what right. kind of happened. You know, how things I notice, I'm sure you notice, things seem to happen in California first and it kind of trickles back towards the East Coast. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, we finally passed the uh, smoking ban in restaurants in Pennsylvania here, you know, and a lot of right. uh, restaurateurs are, are, were really concerned about that, you know. They thought that people weren't going to sit at I their mean, bars I, I can't even see how this can be law. And I have that article. I'm looking further on. It's, it says the law was intended to give officials time to attract healthy alternatives in grocery stores, which are few and far between in poor urban neighborhoods. Right. And it says here state lawmakers have also backed a bill that would make California the first state to require chain restaurants with 20 or more outlets to list calorie counts on menus. 
So California, like you said, is being a real trendsetter and things like this. But I, I can't understand how they can ban you know, any type of business from being in a certain area. I guess we'll have to keep an eye on this. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think the IFA is actually involved in this whole thing as well, you know, as you can imagine. I mean, again, I mean, look at all the stories we do on, on, on fast food uh, franchise chains. You know, right. It's, uh, so it's certainly going to have some type of impact on the, on the franchise industry. But I'm, you know, totally against this. I mean, again, look at the healthy alternatives now that, you know, places like McDonald's are serving and, uh, you know, your subways and places like that. I mean, I think they are – jumping on the uh, um, bandwagon uh, for healthy food, you know. So, right. uh, you know, give them a, give them a chance. Um, so yeah. I'm, I'm totally against this kind of a regulation. Right. But uh, interesting nevertheless. So I know you had some interesting announcements and uh, stories as well. Yeah, yeah, Marty. Uh, well, I just want to remind people of the Franchise and Business Opportunities Expo, uh, October 18th and 19th for people in the, the New York and Long Island area. If you want information, go to LongIslandFranchiseExpo.com. Right. It's a smaller franchise show locally here in New York. Okay. Now here's something, uh, Los Angeles Business uh, from Biz Journals. Yum Brand kicks off annual anti-hunger campaign. It's always nice to this see uh, good. Right. Uh, articles like this. Yum Brand announced Wednesday that it's kicked off its annual hunger relief effort, World Hunger Relief. The company also said it planned to make a major announcement Thursday at the Clinton Global Initiative about its ongoing commitment to world hunger relief. Singer Mariah Carey will be featured in the company's World Hunger Relief restaurant posters as hunger ambassador. And customers who donate to the campaign at KFC Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, Long John Silver's, or A&W restaurants worldwide will receive a free download of her song, Love Story, from her CD. During the year's campaign, Yum! planned to create the equivalent of nearly $50 million in awareness of the hunger issue through advertising, web-based communications, and restaurant posters. Muhammad Ali's wife, Lani Ali, will do the voiceover for the campaign's global television ads. Uh, you know, global hunger, Marty, reaches nearly 1 billion people due to higher commodity prices, increased competition for products that produce energy, natural disasters, and increasing demand for growing economies in Asia and South America. Uh, and Senator David Novak, uh, who's the chairman and CEO of Yum! Brands, says hunger is, un is unacceptable. As a society, we should not and cannot tolerate the fact that 850 million people are starving and go to bed hungry every day. Right. It's kind of sad, but a great cause. Is, Young yeah. Brands, a major uh, you know, franchisor, uh, probably one of the most well-known with a lot of their brands, is stepping up and helping people around the country. Yeah, they're fantastic. They have a lot of great campaigns like this. I'm, just, I'm always so impressed at, at what Young Brands is uh, doing. We had them on our show, I'd say it was about a year ago. I guess it was uh, Scott Hainer, wasn't it? Right. Um, and he was fantastic, you know. So I'm always watching young brands, and uh, I think they, they really are great at giving back to right. uh, society. So that's, that's a great article and very important. Here's something from the Wall Street Journal. Franchisers Sweeten Pot to Woo Buyers by Raymond Flandes. Um, Wall Street Journal says franchise companies facing what many say is the toughest economic environment they've seen are offering two-for-one deals, reduced fees, and financing help to woo new buyers. They are also paying existing franchisees to help spread the word. The economy has made many would-be franchisees wary of taking big financial risks, while others simply can't get the necessary loans. Meanwhile, competition among franchisers is growing, giving investors a lot more choices. There are now about 3,000 different franchise concepts, according to the International Franchise Association. Emerald City Smoothie gives franchise buyers a kiosk in addition to a store, in a survey released last week of some 150 franchise companies, uh, respondents said their franchise sales were about 72% below their 08 goals, with inquiries from prospective franchisees down about 48%, according to Franchise Update Media Group uh, out of San Jose. Uh, but even as closing deals are becoming more of a challenge, as Harold Kastenbaum, a franchise attorney in Uniondale, New York, Franchise companies have to be careful not to alienate existing franchisees when they offer discounts and other incentives to new buyers. That's a good point. How yeah. does it look for the guys who pay the higher price when they see the price is getting lowered, he asks. Making the situation more sensitive, existing franchisees, especially in the retail and home service sectors, are being hit by cutbacks in consumer spending. Uh, Doug Disney, president and founder of Tile Franchise or Tile Outlet, Always in Stock, Inc. argues that in a slower economy, you need to be creative with initiatives and ways to increase awareness. As part of that effort, the Rancho Cordova, California company hopes to make it easier for franchises to qualify for loans. Uh, Tile Outlet, Outlet paid a 
2,500 fee and submitted its franchise agreement for review so that it could be added to the Small Business Administration's pre-approved vendor list. That's uh, the SBA franchise registry that franchisors could, uh, you know, could join. Right, right. Uh, you know, makes it easier for uh, lenders see that a franchise has uh, been reviewed is on the franchise registry. Uh, but the article goes on, potential franchisees still have to qualify for loans from banks and other lenders based on their credit assets and other financial metrics, but joining a franchise that has already been reviewed by the SBA gives them a boost. Since Tile Outlet joined the SBA list, three potential franchisees have begun the loan application process, the company says. Uh, so this is pretty interesting, I guess, in a you know a little tougher uh, time. I guess certain franchisors are, I guess, giving more incentives to to you know try to uh, get more investors and, uh, and right. franchisees. And so they had to get a little more creative, you know, and uh, think outside the yeah. box, you know. So it's uh, which right. I think is is really what makes it fun. And we've seen some uh, very clever ideas, you know, over the last several months, you know, talking about articles just like this, you know. So right. and again, this is stuff that you deal with every day, isn't it? You know, I mean, with the right. whole SBA and all that other stuff. So it's uh, it's interesting. I'll talk more about that in a second. Yeah, but sorry. It says Emerald City Smoothie launched a buy one get one free initiative. Franchise. Wow, what do you think of that? I mean, it sounds yeah. attractive to me, right? I mean, it uh, makes a lot of sense. Buy one of their stores to become a franchise. You get a free kiosk. All right, well, there you go. I mean, if, I guess if you have a choice, Don, between one or the other, right? I mean, because typically, right. you know, you're dealing with uh, there's several smoothie companies out there, right? I mean, if you have a choice between right. one or the other, one's giving you a, a two for one. I mean, doesn't that make it a lot more? attractive right. you know right. are are there competitors going to do the same thing you know are they going to pull like a burger king and follow like a mcdonald's strategy you know and just do whatever so it's McDonald's good. Uh, does. right the investor franchise you can benefit during tougher time because they're getting you're getting you know, more for value for, for for their money they, they can expand quicker if, if they're getting more and this is interesting gold's gym franchising of irving texas uh, is giving prospective franchisees more time to get financing by expanding its development cycle to three years from two Wow. Whereas you, you you sign a franchise agreement, you have uh, you know two years to to build a few units. Now they're saying they realize it's the economy's rougher, and right. financer uh, you know financing is uh, taking longer and it's a little tougher. So they're giving people an extra year uh, to you know complete that goal as opposed to two years. So I think that's a good idea. So there's a lot of great things. I mean, happening really. I mean, if you think about it, I mean there there have been some <laughs> benefits to a recession, right. you know, but. Uh, um, I, I think the offers seem to be a lot stronger, don't they, to the franchisee, right. you know? So uh, it's some very nice this, incentives. Yeah, this franchise interior is by decorating, Dan. Easton, Maryland says it's seen a 33% decline so far this year in the number of leads it's received compared to last year, I guess, uh, with all the different advertising they do. It's uh, funny, though, because we get, like, different, you know, it, you know, doing the show, you know, we get a lot of different feedback. I, I mean, I recall some of our guests saying that, there's actually been an increase in leads, but a decrease in, um, I guess, um, getting accepted for loans, you know, because right. a lot of people are, uh, again, going back to your term, uh, forced entrepreneurship, you know, looking right. at the franchising. So uh, I'm not sure about that, if there's a decrease in leads or there's, a, yeah. there's an we, increase. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've heard I mixed. I've heard mixed, you know, so uh, I don't want our audience to get confused saying, you know, two weeks ago you said this, you know, so it's... Right. it's you do hear different responses. And then uh, further, this interiors by decorating, Dan, out of Maryland, is offering to finance up to 50% of the franchise fee. You're up to about 15000 for qualified individuals with a minimum of 55000 in liquid capital. So, Interesting. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're looking to help people out as well. So it's good that franchise companies are, are stepping up. So interesting. Also here, uh, also out of uh, the Wall Street Journal, um, the credit crunch squeezes franchisees. Restaurants worry tightened lending will impede remodeling new locations. This is, this is by Paul Ziobro and Janet Adamy. And I think this is a good subject to talk about, with, with you know, Marty, with everything in the news for right. a couple of weeks and the, the, the big banks uh, folding and the whole right. uh, bailout situation by the government. It's on the table right now. But the article starts out, lenders are tightening credit to restaurant franchisees in a shift that could make it harder for owners to remodel existing locations and buy new restaurants. It's a sign of how the turmoil on Wall Street is spreading to large companies and small business owners. Panera Bread, Yum Brands, Sonic, Dine Equity, who are the owners of Applebee's and IHOP, each rely to some degree on bank financing to build new restaurants or sell company-owned locations to franchisees. Uh, it talks about General Electric. Uh, you know, GE has uh, you know, been involved in franchise financing for years through GE Capital. Large commercial right. lenders becoming more stringent in pricing 
and issuing loans for new franchisees. Some restaurant executives and investment bankers say GD's franchise finance arm has essentially put a hold on new loans. A spokesman for the Fairfield, Connecticut firm said it is accepting new applications but not quoting prices until the markets settle. He says, we're taking a longer look and even a closer look than we have in different times, he said. McDonald's Corp. warned franchisees earlier this month that Bank of America, another large franchise lender, had tightened lending to his restaurant's owners and that franchisees should find other lenders for immediate borrowing. McDonald's has since said its franchisees have access to sufficient credit for restaurant improvements. Uh, the lending pullback comes as restaurant chains are struggling through a deep downturn. High ingredient prices and consumers curtailing dining outside the home are eating into profits. And they go into tighter credit and and, right. um, and, and so forth. Um, it's true. I mean, it's an interesting point, Don. You know, I mean, it really, uh, <clears throat> everything is, 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 is affected. Um, I don't know if you've seen this. It's kind of unrelated to, well, let's say it's semi-related to franchising. But Hershey's recently, recently um, they switched from cocoa butter making their candy bars to vegetable oil. And... Right. Uh, because it's cheaper, it's less expensive to make, you know. But there's been a, a, a difference in the taste. Actually, consumers are are catching right. saying, "Wait a minute, this doesn't taste like the old Hershey's bar." So, I mean, everything is affected from the ingredients that you put in the French fries to the burgers to really everything in general. You know, it's it, it's all right. impacted. So it's uh, it's, it's keeping things. Uh, I hate to use the word exciting, but uh, definitely on our toes. That's for sure. Yeah. So, when, when, you know, of course, when there's a downturn in the economy, I mean, it's it's going to affect every industry mm-hmm. across the right. board and, and franchising no exception i mean right. you know that's uh but you know still obviously uh, you know franchises you know much safer investment just going on this article a little bit while clearly other sources exist for franchise funding options and recent pullbacks of two of the main lenders in the area are disconcerting uh, uh he wrote last week sonic a driving chain with 3400 locations announced plans to sell its holdings of more than 200 underperforming stores Wow. Uh, it says here, if lenders are requiring restaurant operators to put up about half of the loan amount in cash before going forward with a loan, according to one restaurant investor. Banks right. are asking for as little as 20% in equity as, uh, as little as six months ago. Some analysts think the tighter credit can help the industry by slowing expansion and reducing the glut of restaurants. That's an interesting that is interesting. You know, viewpoint. The fact, right, of, of what's happening, because it does seem like one was going up uh, like every five minutes, you know, so... And, of course, I see this firsthand, Marty. Uh, last night I was uh, on a panel discussing financing to the Franchisor Business Network here in the New Jersey chapter. And right, right. A bunch of franchisors was Adam Siegelheim out of Stark & Stark Law Firm and uh, here in New Jersey. It was nice to invite me. I got to go speak and meet some franchisors and talking about the whole current state of franchise lending. And uh, So this is my business, so I see it firsthand what's gone on uh, over the last year, and it's uh, yeah, you know we're able to, uh, you know, of course, to get people loans. It's just, uh, it's just a little tougher. We have to pre-qualify a little tighter, but but it's mostly good for the for the investor franchise because because we're making sure they have more cash reserve money, and right. they really don't have to make you know much of a salary from their new business uh, the first year. Or if they're mm-hmm. buying an existing franchise, it's going to have cash flow and be profitable, and uh, it, you know, so they're buying a business already making money. But if the startup, you know, we're just being a little more careful that they. Uh, you know, are able to, to to weather the storm until the uh, you know the business is profitable. So, right, and to know, succeed. I mean, I, you know, I mean, right. again, it's 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 a relationship. I mean, that's what it is. You know, the franchisor, um, uh, their goal is always, you know, not to again sell franchises. They're not in that business. The goal is to make the franchisee succeed, so you get the loyalty checks. You know, we're when we we're speaking right. to uh, Brian Spindell of uh, Postnet, it was like three four weeks ago. You know, I mean. Postman is getting some very nice royalty checks now. You know, it happens over right. time. You know, and uh, uh, right. they're pretty significant. So that's the business that a franchisor is in. It's not to just sell a franchise and say, you know what, you're on your own now. It, it doesn't work like that. So these are all very great articles. You know, talking about what's going on in today's world. So. And you mentioned topics. Brian Spindell, who we had on the show. Oh, it did. Some interesting <laughs> article he wrote. Brian's all over we'll the place. Over the, yeah, we'll we'll talk about this probably next week's show. He wrote uh, an article in the. Franchising World magazine uh, okay, about no-brainer wow. technologies and about, about yeah, we should talk about that next week. I think that would be a great topic to talk about. We actually featured Brian in uh, our newsletter 
uh, this week as well. So Brian is a right. popular guy. He's kind of all over the place, but I can right. see why. Yeah. You know, he was a great guest. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, today's show, Don, is being brought to you by Franchise Interviews, and Franchise Interviews gives you an up-close and behind-the-scenes look at franchising and entrepreneurship through our website, FranchiseInterviews.com, where you can hear and read interviews as well as get inside tips from some of the most successful sources in franchising. Our weekly franchise radio show on Blog Talk Radio, where each week you get to hear a new interview with franchisors, franchisees, franchise authors, franchise experts, and franchise attorneys. And our monthly franchise newsletter, which is a must-read for anyone looking to buy a franchise. And once again, don't forget to check out our podcast, Great Quotes in Franchising. And I was mentioning earlier, Don, today we have a great show. We're meeting with William Fickman of the I Sold It Franchise Opportunity. And for our listeners, if you're unfamiliar with I Sold It, uh, they're a franchise concept that offers customers an easy and effortless way online. This unique approach to online retailing gives customers a click-and-mortar store where they can drop off merchandise that they would like to liquidate online. We were talking a little bit about that here. Customers simply stop by a store to drop off items they want to sell, and I sold it takes care of the rest. And something I forgot to mention earlier in the introduction is that um, William is the, uh, is the winner of the um, – first uh, GSEA virtual competition, and I actually got to hear it, and I was incredibly impressed with William. So, hey, William, good morning. Welcome to the show. Hi there. Good morning. How are you doing today, William? All right. Good, good. William, joining us is my co-host, Don Johnson, and Don is the president of Diamond Financial Services, and I know you wanted to say hi, Don, to uh, William. Yeah, William, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Congratulations on your success uh, with, with, with the business, and uh, you're also... Uh, what a top video uh, expert as well. Uh, what was that? Uh, it seems like you're also winning contests as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to be in Chicago uh, later later on in this year. Yeah, I'm actually going to get to meet you there, William. I'll be there as oh, well, you know, so I'm looking forward to uh, shaking your hand and uh, taking a picture with you. We're going to put it on the website, Don, right? Likewise. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's fantastic. William, we always like to start off asking our guests, where are you calling from this morning? Sure. Um, really from Los Angeles, California, a small city called Tarzana, California. So it's in, inside Los Angeles. Oh, great. Are you a, is it two stores um, for, I sold it, William, or is it one? Yeah, two stores that I own, and they're in Agoura Hills and Tarzana, California. That's fantastic. And that's all really L.A., Los Angeles. Right, right. We were actually talking about Los Angeles earlier in the show, William. I don't know if you heard the first part of the show, but uh, I guess the government is kind of stepping in and putting some regulation on the uh, fast food industry, you know, saying kind of like no more McDonald's or no more Burger King, you know. So we were wow. just kind of shocked yeah, at what's, um, what's happening. It seems like everything happens in California first, and then it kind of trickles all the way over to the East Coast, you know. Right. So things are always exciting over there. But William, it, um, it sounds like you you were kind of destined to be an entrepreneur. Again, I mentioned that I actually had uh, an opportunity to sit in on that um, GSEA virtual competition on entrepreneurship. And uh, what were you doing before joining or becoming a franchisee to ISOL? Yeah, well, it's funny you say I was destined because I think I was doing a lot of entrepreneurial things at a really young age. Like yeah. you probably saw in that competition at 10 years old, I was making stress balls and selling That's them. Great. At 12 years old, I had a dog walking business, and then at 16, I was selling art in a local art gallery. Right. And then at 19, I I got this opportunity to to be part of the I Sold It franchise, and uh, jumped right on it. That's and how did that come about, William? Old. How did you? I mean, did you hear about it? Did a friend tell you? Did you read about it in the magazine or online? How, yeah, how, how specifically I sold it? It, it was actually quite uh, funny how we found it. My my brother was reading an article in Entrepreneur magazine. Mm-hmm. I think we were interested in looking into businesses in, in general, and boom, I mean, we read the idea, and it just sounded like a winner. It sounded like a service that wasn't out there, but that right. was really needed by, by people and businesses. It sounded like a service that we could use ourselves. Right, absolutely. And uh, started looking around. We knew we wanted a franchise because uh, of the marketing and the support and, of course, all the other benefits of franchising. Um, we knew ourselves that when we're driving down the street and we're hungry, we don't stop at Joe's Hamburger Shop. We go to McDonald's. That's true. Or we go to Burger King, or we go to wherever we go, but it's a big name and it's a chain. Um, like okay. so we wanted the same power in our business. Right. right. So we started doing research and came across two franchisors at that time. It was uh, I sold it in Quick Drop. Right. Uh, since then, Quick Drop has, uh, I believe, just about 
disintegrated into nothing today. They quickly um, dropped I don't out. Know yeah. they, I, I don't think they've been franchising for years, and most of their stores are now yeah. gone. Right. Um, but I sold it was clearly a, a stronger franchisor at that point, and we went with them. That's and great. Of course, so the founders right were originally uh, from Wetzel's Pretzels. Oh, okay. That's so, interesting. So I didn't that know that. So that was good. The, yeah, the, the back support was good. You know, their, right, their qualifications from, from before were good. That's great. And they had, so they had experience in franchising, you know, uh, so, I mean, that's fantastic. And that's important as far as, you know, the leadership, William, you know, as far as the organization that you're getting involved with. So it sounds like, you know, you, you did your homework before yeah. making a decision. It wasn't a, a quick decision. Yeah, we, we spent a lot of time looking into it and visiting stores and, you know, doing all kinds of things that we could do at that time. Of course, it was hard because the industry was so new that, right. you know, this is in 2004. So the industry, we really started um, and in 2004, there just was nothing around to even do really good quality due diligence on. You know, we couldn't right. go really eat at a restaurant and see what it was like or, you know, watch the traffic for a few days. Right, was, right. I think the nearest I sold at store at that time was in Texas. So it was very hard for us to, to really do good due diligence. Right. And Absolutely. there hadn't been stores that were in business more than just a few months. So nobody really knew what, what we were getting into, but, you know, it's kind of like the wild, wild west. And I guess so you're you like young, that, too. Uh, yeah, oh, no, I, I was going to say, but you like that part of it, William, that uh, like, even though it was a franchise and structured, it really wasn't well-known. You, you, you just liked the potential and, 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 and liked the service it offered. Uh, exactly. And, you know, I mentioned well, McDonald's as a well-known name, but I sold it right. or not, but I guess you just liked the business model. Is that what really sold you on it? Right, exactly. So it's t- a little different than typical franchising because it's franchising, right. you buy a name, and you know, you come out of the gate strong, right? But with right. I sold it, we've really been building – our name and, uh, you know, the eBay drop-off industry in general. Mm-hmm. We've really been, you know, driving awareness to, to let people know what we do. Um, yes, maybe talk about that, that a second for people who don't know what, what I sold it is. Maybe just talk a couple minutes about what the actual service is. I think a lot of people nationwide don't really know, uh, you know, what that type of business is. Sure. So we're, we're a brick-and-mortar store uh, located, you know, in, in various communities with easy parking and it's it sort of positioned like a dry cleaners where you, you come in, there's mm-hmm. a front counter where we take in your items, and then the back of the store, you know, three-quarters of the store is our is our warehouse, our production plant. And right. So back there we'll photograph the item, write up a description about it, post it online, and then it's in storage inside our store for that week. And then uh, it's auctioned off or sold at a set price, and the buyer pays us electronically through PayPal or credit card. Mm-hmm. Um, we collect that payment and then pack and ship it right there in the store to them, and then we mail mail our seller a check. And the whole it's goal great, is obviously yeah, to get service. the most money for that item, get the most money and the fastest time. Say that again. Uh, no, I, and, and the overall goal, besides helping people to sell stuff, they uh, in a service they don't want to sell it on their own or can't they? They they come to an I sold it store, but you know you want to get the most amount for that item and the quickest in the fastest <clears> time. Yeah, right. absolutely, we, and and we do that because we have a good reputation. People mm-hmm. trust us. They know that we're right. a brick-and-mortar store. We're not going to disappear or scam them, um, and it kind of takes all the, uh, you know, the difficulty of dealing online out of the equation because we're, right. we're there. We have a physical store. People can actually pick up an item from our store. They don't have to ship it, That's and so we get a lot of local people that buy something and just come into a store, pay, you know, pay for it right there with the counter and pick it up. Yeah, and I think you said it best, William, you know, in the, in the competition when I was listening to you. you know, I mean, this is something that, you know, most people probably could do on their own, but, you know, why do it on your own when, again, you don't really have a track record on eBay? Um, you know, and I, I think you use this great analogy, and I've stole it a couple of times. You know, you can wash your own car, but why not just take it to a car wash? I mean, it really saves a lot of time. If you, yeah, if you've ever sold... You know, if you've ever, I've actually sold items on eBay, and I have to be honest, I, I don't think I would go through it again. It's just, it's a pain yeah, in the neck yeah. from packaging and shipping and just everything else. You know, it, it, it just takes too much time. And, the other one I use, and you can steal it too, is we we all can cook our own food, but we like to go out to a restaurant. That's true. That's right. right? I, I mean, say we know that. how to cook, we know how to wash cars, but it's just when you factor in the time and and really the skills right. that are required, and, and you're honest with yourself, you might not have that reputation or the skills to do it right. Right, and to do it professionally, and that's what we do. We we do it all day long. We have a full staff that does it all day long, so we get good at what we do too. So, so what about, about your age, started, William? 
Uh, I'm sorry, Mike. You know, we're oh, all so excited. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just going to say, William. But I mean, you, you, know, you started this what about 19 years old? I guess. Yeah. You question. know, I mean, you know, most people don't start businesses as a teenager in their early 20s. But I guess by then you had about 10 years of you know work experience built up and being an entrepreneur. Yeah, always, I think as far as I can remember, I, I've always been working and I've always enjoyed it. It was that was my extracurricular activities in high school was working. Right. Um, to me, it was fun and. Uh, yeah. You know, I enjoyed learning and, and learning about different businesses and seeing how they worked. And I, I always knew I would be destined somewhere in business. I was in school to be a, a CPA, so I was at the time working at a at an accounting firm. Mm-hmm. And uh, if it hadn't been for this, I would have been a CPA now. But I'm very right. glad that I've taken this route. It's right. quite more fun. That's fantastic. Yeah. It was a great story too, Don. Uh, William was, was telling in the uh, GSEA competition. It was like he had a, a dog walking service and. Uh, you had too many dogs, didn't you, William? So you had to kind of like uh, yeah, pass it on to your friends. Friend. Yeah, so <laughs> you were still making money doing it. Yeah, mm-hmm. two friends that I had who were actually started walking the dogs for me, and I still, you know, went around and collected money and then paid them their money. And exactly, you know, the total dollars we're talking about are comical, but sure, but still, yeah, and absolutely, the were there and they were real. That's fantastic. Wow. But uh, yeah, talk about the easy. history of the organization a little bit, uh, William. The, uh, and, and myself, I'm involved in financing, and I financed a few people investing in this type of business. But, it's, I mean, the whole history of, uh, the, you know, the industry is relatively new. Yes. Well, we're only been around since about 2004, really. Um, yeah. Today I sold it. has got 93 stores uh, open and running, and most of those stores are now coming to, to a few years in business. And so they're really starting to see the, you know, the efficiencies that have been built, the experience that we've been able to learn and build. And, you know, we, we've grown over time. We started with just, and, and this is one of the things I covered in my presentation at the GSEA, was we started with just one profit center, and that was commission on items. And uh, really to get the business growing and going, we, we had to develop new profit centers. And today, you know, we, we, we have revenue streams from our shipping and handling, our insurance, our, um, you know, various other services that we offer. We sell cars. We advertise cars for our, for our customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sell warranty on the electronics that we sell. So there's really a lot of profit centers. Uh, kind of like 7-Eleven started selling ice right. uh, in their history, right. and today he sells over you know, 2,000 products. Right. So same way, we're developing, and, and right now we've got a couple exciting new profit centers that we're working on um, that, that we should be letting out uh, shortly as new services to our customers. Yeah, so speaking of profits, and so, you know, we were talking last week, our, our, the topic of the show was on bankruptcy, you know, and Don and I were saying earlier in the show that I guess, you know, I suspect that, you know, that is a, I hate to say a nice profit center for you guys now, but the liquidation of, I guess, business assets, right? I mean, yeah, being involved huge. in that. We've seen that uptick uh, this year and late last year. We've done a lot of small business liquidation. Um, there's a lot of, you know, li- existing liquidation companies out there that'll that'll liquidate, but Nobody right. wants to handle the little guy, little exactly. store with, you know, a few fixtures, the little store right. with 10 pieces your, of this. Right, and your bakeries. Or, right. Yeah, yeah. Nobody wants sense. to deal with them because they're too small. For us, that's, you know, that's perfect size. Yeah, and filling so a nice really niche. Yeah. Or filling that niche of, of small business liquidation, really. And, uh, I mean, I know just about every small business around us that has gone out because they call us. And, right. and we, we've sold something for them. Great. Yeah. The success, William, of your stores, I imagine other franchise you're looking to invest in Isolde would probably give you a call doing their own due diligence. How do you describe the Isolde franchise system to you know, someone else who's looking to invest in an Isolde? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if they're franchising right now. I, they may have slowed that down now um, to get the existing stores uh, you know, better growing and in a better position. As, right. as we develop this new business, they may be opening up franchising soon. Um, so I don't okay. think there's they're actively franchising right now, um, but as far as the system goes, I mean, there's we're a chain of stores across the country. The system consists of, uh, you know, our software, which is our backbone to our business. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we have a very strong check processing system. Um, so all in all, we have an end-to-end system that goes from from taking an item in to tracking it well to making sure a check goes out to our seller on time. And these are all the things that have taken, you know, years to develop that all other drop-off store chains have failed with, is that the business really seems simple when we got into it, right? Everybody sells on eBay out of their garage. Right, right. But it's really, really complicated because you have thousands of transactions 
with a buyer and seller on every end of it. And so keeping all that information tracked and flowing properly was really challenging with, without proper software and systems. And we've developed those systems over the years. And I think that's, that's where we've seen success out of those systems. And this technology, William, I, I guess it sounds like it's, it's also going to go, I guess, beyond eBay. I mean, again, Amazon, I guess, would be like the next biggest competitor yeah, yeah. to eBay. So I guess you're going to get involved with that as well. It's not just going to be yeah, eBay. That's, that's really exciting that's happening. Like right now, we're, we're in the process of changing, uh, growing beyond eBay, opening up to new marketplaces right. like Amazon, Ubid, and really our own storefront has been uh, our, our key focus this year. So really we have products that we put up into our own e-commerce storefront. It, it falls into all the uh, Google, Yahoo, and Internet searches. And so we have products available that people are searching for on the mm -hmm. Internet in general and right. then coming right to our store and buying directly from us, not from eBay. Um, so, so a lot of our business liquidation uh, stuff tends to go that route because it's usually you know, some inventory that we're able to, to blow out at great prices from the consumer's right. perspective. Um, and from the from the seller's perspective, they're happy too because they were expecting pennies on the dollar, and we're able to maybe get fifty or sixty cents on the dollar. Right, right. And and the consumer's happy because they're buying an item for half price. Right. And so it really makes sense. So really, we've been doing a lot of sales off our own storefront, um, but all these things have have definitely been driven by technology. And so we we've got right. a solid platform that, with just a click of a button, can get an item onto eBay, onto our storefront, onto other websites, and kind of market it across multiple channels. And and so have you ever bought something yourself, William? You ever buy something, something comes in the store? And <laughs> yeah, I know. You buy it for yourself? Well, I, I, get a, I get that asked all the time by everybody <laughs> I meet, and, and yeah. the answer is very rarely. I don't really collect anything. Right. right. Um, and anything right. I really need, you know, I tend to just buy. Right, um, right. Sure, there, there have been things that... Uh, you know, I happen to need it at the moment. Uh, you know, a bicycle here, a PS3 there, right? Um, that that I was able to yeah. just buy directly. In those cases, I, I won't go ahead and bid on it. I'll just make an offer to the seller, and chances are they'll what? they'll sell it. Well, just stick to what you're doing good, and that's collecting money. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting, William, because I've I, seen the statistic, I guess, like if you were to go through the average household in America, I guess, what is it? They have is like 2000 Dollars or over two thousand right. dollars in inventory so in the average person's house. Yeah. Yeah. AC Nielsen did a survey and determined that the average household's got two thousand dollars of unused goods in the That's attic, in the garage, wherever they are. So if you extrapolate that across all the households, it makes right. the industry huge. Right. Billions of dollars. Yeah. Billions of dollars of 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 sellable stuff, and the the beauty of it is it doesn't end because the ongoing purchases continue and that stuff gets replenished. Right. So it's like the, the iPhone that, you know, the next generation comes out and everybody exactly. buys that. And all of a sudden, you know, we're getting a customer a day bringing in an iPhone. Right, right. So, so that, and that happens with everything, you know, with shoes, with handbags, with every kind of electronic that comes out. As people buy new, you know, there's something old that they need to get rid of, a new watch, you know, a new watch, a new cell phone, a new car, so whatever, yeah, whatever right. the case may be. So, when was this all thought of your uh, uh, your uh, your thought process before you made a decision on it? Uh, you know, going over you know this scenario. Uh, like, how long was your time between you uh, saw I sold it and then eventually said yes, I want to go ahead and invest with it? Was there a, a time period? It was, of, very, it was very it was very quick and probably in you know thinking back to those times, too quick for, for <laughs> buying a business. It was probably right. a matter of maybe just a few weeks, maybe two weeks. Wow. Um, of, of actually, you know, finding I sold it and then right. signing up with I sold it. But at right. that time, it was so, the concept was growing so fast, like wildfire, sure. right. um, that it was kind of like if we didn't move fast, somebody else would be buying the franchise and opening stores where, where we wanted them. Right. Yeah, and and luckily, we were able to do it fast and get stores, you know, around our home. So, so we didn't get stuck with, you know, franchise territories that were farther away or would require us right. to move. Right. I like the repeat sales factor too, William. I mean, it must be, you know, <clears throat> I guess the first sale is always the most difficult, you know, but getting, but once you, uh, once a customer has worked with you or I sold it, I, I think it's probably much easier to get that customer to come back over and over and over again and kind of exactly. constantly, as you say, sell, you know, uh, sell their inventory. So it's, it, it's just the business model seems to make a lot of sense. I can understand why 
you were attracted to it, you know, especially having a, a, an accounting background as well. Yeah, it, it totally does make sense. And we've seen, you know, there, there is some risk that a customer perceives when, when they're dealing with a new business because they're like, mm -hmm. well, I'm going to drop off my valuable item here, but, you know, what if you go out or what if you disappear? Or what if you're out? You know, the customer is always very skeptical because they drop off an item and they leave with a piece of paper, their receipt that they did so. And so that's always pretty pretty challenging for, for customers to get over the first time. Um, yeah. It's gotten better, as we've noticed, as the longer we've been in business, because now there's a, a big trust built up in the community, and friends tell friends, and that right. always carries a lot of weight. Um, but, yeah, we, we have seen it in the beginning where somebody would bring in a $30 item, we'd sell it, and the next week really be back with that $2,000 guitar. And, and we're like, well, what, why didn't you bring this in first? And the whole thing is, well, <laughs> right, right. I wanted to test you guys. Exactly. And, and they're honest about it. Yeah. Um, and we've seen that where somebody sells a few things and then it works, and the next week they're really in with a, with a truckload of stuff. Right, Because right. that's what they really had to sell. So it's always, it's always been kind of funny how our customers will test us, but we, we appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Is it a re would you say it's a recession? I hate to use the word recession-proof, William, um, uh, type of business, but would you say, I mean, again, in tough times, it, it sounds like this concept might even do a little better yeah, when the I economy's lower? It, I consider it counter-cyclical. So, mm -hmm. so, yeah, absolutely, because right now we, we've got businesses which are closing more right. often, so they're calling us more often. Um, and, you know, gas prices have been really high, so people are literally more motivated to, to sell their stuff. You know, I would say True. we serve a different level of customer. Like a pawn shop really serves a lower level of customer that's more cash strong and more desperate. Right. We right. we serve a little higher level than that because a person's gonna have to wait a few weeks to get money anyway. But but they do need the money, and we do get customers bringing in art, rims, jewelry, whatever it is, and and telling us, hey, I really need the money. I I've got to pay bills. So they're not desperate. They don't need the money that day because their rent is due that day. But but they do need bills that they got to pay. Right. And, and yeah, they are more motivated to come in, whereas before, you know, if they've got money and no bills to pay, then, you know, that right. item can sit in their garage for another six months. That's true. Before they decide to get rid of it. But now they are more motivated to come in, and, yeah, we are serving more businesses on, on the liquidation side of our business. That's interesting. And we, we've seen that across all our stores around the country, just more, you know, an increase in volume. Right. Just with, uh, with, with our economic times now. Uh, uh, next question, William. I was just going to ask you, what's the most interesting thing that's happened to you since joining I Sold It? And I just want you to, I'm sure maybe you, you know, you've sold some interesting stuff over uh, oh, the last yeah. few years. <laughs> the most interesting thing is that every day is interesting because you're going to get some unique, crazy item in that right. you never saw, that you never thought somebody would pay $5,000 for. Right. But uh, I, I'd say the most interesting things that have happened overall is we're in Los Angeles, so we get a lot of celebrity um, action. And uh, yeah. I've personally been to Meatloaf's house. Um, wow. We, we've sold some uh, worn outfits for Britney Spears, uh, one of which <laughs> was uh, really exciting when, when she got caught without her uh, underwear on in public was that red dress. And wow. so we actually had that red dress in our store that we were selling. That's amazing. For sale. I'd like to make an offer. That was quite exciting. Very, it, wow. it got us a lot of media attention, and TMZ right. was in our store, and we, we got onto T Fox on TMZ, and they were showing our store, so that was exciting. Um, uh, Mike Sherrard is a football player. He's a good client of ours. Um, so we, we do get to work a lot with celebrities, and and uh, Lucky Me gets to go to their house when, when they have something to <laughs> That's exciting. That's fantastic. Yeah, so that that's always been exciting. And of course, every now and then we get a really crazy item that you would never even imagine would drive so much money. Right, right. But it What's the training like, uh, William, for new franchisees? How you know how was that whole process of dealing with I sold it corporate and the training and the people you met and everything? Yeah. So when we started training, like I said, we were probably one of the first few franchisees out of the gate. So. A lot of it wasn't uh, yet really developed. I'm sure it's, it's changed drastically over the last few years, and yeah. we've learned more about the business. But in the beginning, we did spend about uh, about two weeks uh, working in in the live uh, corporate store, you know, doing the actual customer service, the photography, the packing, shipping, managing the store, looking at metrics and reports, and 
it was part classroom in those two weeks and then part hands-on, you know, in the store packing boxes right. uh, type of training. So so the training was actually quite good. I, I did kind of my own training while we were investigating the franchise. I went to work for, for another franchisee who was open. Uh, right right when we bought, actually, and before we were, mm-hmm. you know, getting everything prepared and set up, I went to work for the first L.A. franchisee in Westwood uh, yeah. just for a few weeks just to see, you know, she she needed employees and, and I needed just to see how this business runs before I started running it. So I went to work for her for $8 an hour and, and learned a lot. Had you already made your commitment that I sold it at that yeah, point? Yeah, we, we had made our commitment at that point, and I was just – giving myself extra training. Um, so after a couple of weeks, you're probably pretty excited. You, you now kind of knew the business right. and, and saw the potential. I imagine you were really just chomping at the bit to get back and get your own store going. Exactly, yeah. We were we were just busting to, to find, uh, you yeah. know, locations. At that time, I remember it was really difficult to find real estate because at that time everything was leased right. up. It would probably be much easier today, but everything was leased up. The rentals were very high everywhere, and... Um, our, our location is very specific. We require we have to have parking right in front of our store. Okay. That's not always easy to find here in LA. Right, that's true. Um, we had to have a certain size and a certain geogra- you know, geometric layout of the store so that it would it would flow properly. And all those requirements really made it quite quite difficult to find the perfect spot. But it took us about about four or five months of, of searching and driving and looking at a lot of shopping centers um, while we did that. So we were all kind of anxious to, to get going, and it's like we couldn't because we couldn't find the perfect space. But anyway, about four or five months later, we found we found that a good space, and then another four or five months, another space. Um, uh, you know, most of your business, still. William, just word of mouth built up? I mean, what, what type of advertising do you do? We've done just about every type of advertising you could think of. We've tested a lot of things. Yeah. Um, word of mouth certainly works. Um, but we find that our customers really come into us about once a year, maybe less, even less frequently than that, because that's when they do their cleaning. Yeah. Um, and word of mouth has grown over time. All the time, we hear people saying, "My, you know, my brother uses your service. My, my cousin, my friend, my neighbor has been here before." But we, we are now down to we do cable TV spots that we run locally, um, and uh, we, we have done some coupon books here and there, and now right. we're. We're experimenting with some other type of local marketing like that. Right. That was yeah, interesting. Yeah, I was going to say in the beginning, Don, I, was, I remember you telling the story. When it was <clears throat> challenging, I guess, you know, when you first opened up the store. I guess you had to do a lot of, like, grassroots kind of marketing, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, which had to be a challenge, I guess, in the beginning. Yeah, and this is kind of long. against the norm. Like, like I was saying earlier, it's uh, uh, with I sold it not having that brand name, and then someone of your age starting up a franchise. This is, uh, you know, not the norm in, in, in the franchise industry. Uh, you know, your average age is much higher, and yeah, there's a lot of newer concepts out there. But not only I sold it was new, but the whole industry is really new. So you really, I mean, there's, a, there's risks all around you starting this. So, but you jumped right into it. You already had a lot of experience and business and confidence, and I'm sure you're just well, well on your way, William. Yeah, so we, we did do a lot of uh, that grassroots guerrilla marketing, just all kinds of things. And the other thing that's worked great for us is we have wrapped vehicles out in the street. So we, we actually buy vehicles, wrap them with our graphics, and put them out on the streets, and they're, they're really our billboards. And that's the cheapest billboard you'll find is, is a clunker vehicle that you can wrap and put out there. And it works the best. <laughs> oh, Absolutely. Definitely the highest ROI out of all of our advertising comes out of uh, uh, the wrapped vehicles that stand in the street because they get you know, thousands of traffic oh, cars yeah. passing it every day. That's fantastic. Do you have a typical day, William? Like, I mean, what is your typical day like when you wake up in the morning and then you go home at the end of the day? Yeah, I think uh, uh, there's a typical day in terms of schedule because it tends to happen at the same time, but there is no typical day in our business, and that's because – we're not making hamburgers and, and we're not making french fries all day long. Right. We're, we're selling these unique items and handling customers with really unique situations. And so one day I could be working with a customer who just foreclosed on their house and needs to get everything out of the house. Um, and I had a customer who was like that in, in the medical business who had a whole, you know, 
huge $300,000 inventory of medical equipment that he was running out of his house, you know, a business he was running out of his right. house, and foreclosed on the house, and now he's got a house full of very expensive things that, that he had to clear out. So we're spending about a week just moving the stuff into our store. Um, that, that could happen, or, you know, a little coffee shop goes out of business, and suddenly I'm working with them to get their fixtures and all that kind of stuff sold and out. Um, or, you know, various problems and issues and situations do come up um, that, that we manage. And then, of course, our business is new. And like any business, we, we've got a lot of change. Every day things are changing. Um, eBay's been changing every day, for, as, right. as I'm sure you've read about right. in the news and stuff. So keeping up with all those changes and dealing and putting in new, new policies within our stores to, to keep up with all those changes is happening every right. day. So, with what so you've learned now, William, what advice would you give to another young aspiring entrepreneur like yourself looking to buy a franchise right now? Yeah, so my advice goes out only to other young people out there because I don't know what it's like to be uh, older yet. So uh, <laughs> right. the, the advice I would give is is do it while you can, and that's been really my my uh, fortune. Is I you know I was 19, living at home, young, you know, no family obligations, no no issues like that. Um, no, no obligations for time or family commitments, and so I was able to pour in all that energy and time into the business. Right. Um, the other thing I'd say is be sure you're well capitalized. It probably takes twice as long and twice as much money as you anticipated in the beginning, so make right. sure you, you've got those covered, um, and, and always continue to educate yourself, and I still do that today by uh, reading magazines, reading newspapers, reading local papers, um, reading all kinds of books on business and, and anything to educate myself on, on business. That's yeah, great so advice. Read a lot. Yeah, no, it is. It's fantastic advice. What's what's next for you with the uh, GSEA virtual competition, William? What happens uh, after that? Again, you were the winner of the first uh, online. Yeah, so I won the first uh, round of the, the GSEA virtual competition. Now they fly me out to Chicago in November, and I'll compete live with 20 or 25 other entrepreneurs from around the world. Wow. Well, you'll have my vote. I'll be I'll be rooting for you. I'll be out there in the audience. Uh, awesome. Thank you. So, uh, you, know, you give a guarantee, William? Do you guarantee that you win that on this show? Can you give that guarantee or no? No, just a lot of hope. <laughs> he's just very good, Don. He's, he's very, yeah, William's very convincing, so I think he's, he's got a, a, a good shot. So just yeah. a lot of hope, but I'll, I will try my best, and we'll, we'll see where, where we end up. That's so that'll be in November, and then we'll compete. We actually make presentations and tell people right. about our Tell a panel of judges about our uh, our business, our plans, and there's certain criteria we got to talk about. Um, Great. Yeah, and the judges are all entrepreneurs themselves. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, last year one of the judges was uh, the editor of Entrepreneur Magazine. Oh wow! Um, and uh, just people, prominent people like that that you would recognize. Other right. successful business owners that you know may have started little things and grown them into huge companies. Right. Right. Those are actually oh, the judges. What are your plans for the future, William? Um, how, I mean, again, you're, you're so young at this point. You know, it's hard to say which way you want to go. But um, do you want to continue growing this business, obviously, and, and, and yeah, what's so after I, that? Yeah, it's taken me now uh, six years, but I did finish college. Uh, wow, congratulations! At night, that's great. Uh, so I did, I did finish that to get that. You know, that's kind of my my plan B or plan C, but I plan to give it li- at least the next two, three years into this business, growing it and, and continuing with it. Um, and then we'll see, you know, maybe in two, three years, it's a whole different business that now needs more of my effort to go to the next level. Um, or maybe we sell or, or maybe I go to MBA school. I'm not sure yet, That's but I'm, I'm keeping options open. So at least two, Sounds three like years. Sounds like you'll always be a business owner though. It sounds I, like that I'm year. afraid so. <laughs> I'd like to go back to school, but I'm afraid I'm afraid I like it too much. That's fantastic. Um, what's that's what's the good. best way our listeners want to get more information? Uh, we have a link up on our show page, just so you know, that actually links to your store uh, directly. Um, okay. Is there any other way uh, people can get information on speaking to you, or should they go to a website or? Um, speaking to me directly, they can probably uh, if if they get to our store's website. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm usually in our store, so they can call okay. the store. They can email the store. Um, from there, it'll it'll get routed to me. That's fantastic. And I want to thank you again, William. You've been a fantastic guest. And, uh, again, I look forward to uh, meeting you face-to-face uh, in November in Chicago. Great. Likewise. Keep up the Thanks a lot, William. William. Yeah, great Take job. Care. Yeah, thank you, guys. Take care.
Thanks, Thank Liam. Great show, huh, Don? Yeah, very uh, inspirational. I mean, you know, again, it's so right. young, you know, and uh, it was interesting getting advice uh, from William as far as, um, right. you know, his advice to aspiring entrepreneurs or young entrepreneurs looking to buy a franchise. You know, it's uh, that's very interesting. I, I, I like the concept. It does make sense. I like the whole repeat sale factor. And, uh, right. again, they're getting involved with uh, Amazon and uh, a lot of these other online auctions as well. So. It's a service and it's helping people. You brought up the good point when a down economy, more people are just going to need money for uh, you know basic essentials and you know that, absolutely that, you know that can help his business. Yeah. And it's interesting again the Amer- the average American household, I guess, having about two thousand dollars worth of uh, inventory in their house. You know, I mean, uh, no, I know I have that. I think I'm going to tackle it this weekend with the garage. I probably have two thousand just in my garage. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible, isn't it? So it's a great service. You know, it's uh, again, it was just. Uh, Glad we we finally had William on the show, you know. And uh, again, I'll have the chance to uh, meet him face to face in Chicago, you know. So uh, looking forward to all that. But it was a great show today. I really enjoyed it. And uh, again, next week we have uh, is it Moran Industries? Moran Industries, yeah. That's a pretty so big show. You know, that, a pretty big franchise. So looking forward to that. Uh, for our listeners, go to franchiseinterviews.com. Again, uh, subscribe to our newsletter if this is the first time you're listening. Go to franchisefunding.net. And the new ReadySetGoFranchise.com, right? I like the way you say that, yeah. There you go. Well, I forgot last week, so I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, made sure I, made, I made a little reminder. Good show, Donald. I'll see you next week. Have a good day. Take, Take care. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.